Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Bijou Banter. Today, we're going to be talking about two awesome movies that came out on Christmas this past year, but we didn't talk about it immediately because we had more pressing things to discuss, namely the Star Wars holiday specials. But we're going to be talking about Wonder Woman and Soul this year, or not this year, today, uh, specifically Wonder Woman 1984, which we're going to go ahead and start with. Uh, Wonder Woman 1984, which was directed by Patty Jenkins and directed that directed by Patty Jenkins and stars Galileo, Chris Pine, Kristen Wiig, and Pedro Pascal, and is about Wonder Woman in 1984 fighting off Pedro Pascal, who has the wishing stone thingy mabob. What did we all think? I think I might be in the minority. I mean, you know, we've been seeing the reviews going around that people have not been the biggest fan of, you know, this film because of how great the first one was. And so this was a bit of a letdown. Sequelitis is the term I've seen thrown around a lot. I didn't mind it. It, You know, I was having a conversation with my dad about this a couple hours ago, actually, because I was telling him we were going to talk about this. My family hasn't seen it. I'm the only one that's seen it. And I was like, I think people are being a little too harsh on this, but their criticisms are fair. But like, it's just not one that like, I care to revisit ever. But for while I was watching it, I was at least slightly entertained. There's a lot of problems with the story, that's for sure, which I'm sure we'll get into. But for the most part, I thought it was, it was just fair. It wasn't like anything, you know, mind blowing. It just felt like a step down from like superhero movies we've gotten now. And this just didn't add anything new when it could have. Fair. Um, yeah, on, on that end, I really, really did not like this movie. And I really hate to say that because the first one, the first Wonder Woman, which for a while was considered the best of the DCU until debatably Shazam came out. Wonder Woman was like the peak and yeah, it's not a perfect movie. I still have issues with it, but it's still, it's a fun movie. And I like the origin story. This one, I do not, I cannot figure out for the life of me what happened. You have the same writer and director, the same actors. And it's like, did, I don't, I just don't know what happened. Like the story doesn't make any sense at all. It's way too long like that that's one of my biggest criticisms that it's like it's two and a half hours long it does not need to be that long like my god it really doesn't like there's no sort of like stakes or conflict it just feels like a nothing brainless movie which some people could say like oh yeah it's just a fun popcorn movie you want just like go along and have fun with the ride like i can't really uh take that as an answer because the movie literally makes no sense and i'm sure we'll we'll get into that later but just overall, as an experience, it was just so disappointing. And nothing about it, like, angered me. Like, this wasn't a Lodge-type movie where I was just, like, so pissed off. But I was just, like, it was such a downgrade. Like, it doesn't even feel like it's in the same universe as the first Wonder Woman. All fair criticisms. I, uh, I'm on the other end of the spectrum. I think this movie was not a perfect movie by any stretch of the imagination. But I liked it. I thought it was fun. It reminded me of Iron Man 3, not in terms of anything with the plot or tone, but just in like how I felt about the plot. I was like, this is kind of like unimportant and just kind of thrown together, but like it's still enjoyable. And there's one scene, which spoiler alert, because we always do spoilers, because otherwise, I mean, we have to dance around everything. At one point, Wonder Woman has to like renounce her wish she made on the wishing stone for Steve Trevor to come back. And that scene is just really spectacularly done in my opinion and is one of the best things that i saw all of last year it was amazing but that's just me uh matthew why to start why don't we just give you some free reign to to talk about it 
Um, okay, so my my biggest issue with there well, there's many issues that start off right from the beginning. I feel like to me, the story is like I said, very very weak and does not make any sense at all because it revolves around the Dreamstone. And one thing I usually really don't like about movies are MacGuffins. I think they're sometimes they work and they and if they if they can work it in a way that's like either innovative or interesting, I have no problem with it. But for the most part, I feel like they're just really lazy plot devices. And they use that with the Dreamstone, which is not only an extremely like lazy plot device, but the first one didn't rely on anything like that. Yeah, Diana wanted to go to, you know, the real world to fight off Ares because she thought, you know, Ares was a real person in terms of like creating World War One. But it was more just about her finding herself through the war and just more it was an origin story. There was no like, you know, plot device really. This one, all the all the conflicts, all the characters' motivations, like literally every single one of them revolves around this stupid freaking stone. And it's very annoying. And even then, like the wishes don't make any sense. Like uh the main villain who is Pedro Pas- Pascal Pascal's character. I forget what's his name again? Like uh it's Maxwell like, Lord. Yeah. Maxwell Lord. Yeah, he's like this Max Rich Stone for some reason. <laughs> He's he's like this like sort of entrepreneurial like businessman who wants like all this power because he's not he doesn't have a lot of it even though he's like the like this like uh, infomercial sort of personality he's trying to look after his son who he wants to be seen as a success and he wants his son to be proud of him it's like okay that's good but it's like why do you need to revolve around the stone? Because once he gets the stone, he just wants, I want all the power. I want the stone to be in me, basically, to become this all-powerful god. And he still wants more power. And it's just like, okay, you're telling me, like, nobody that, like, ever came across the stone, like, thought about that? He's the only one to think, like, yeah, let me just engulf the stone into myself, and I'll just be, like, Jesus, basically. It's so strange. And also, like, with the wishes, too, uh, I, I'm like jumping around like really far into the movie. This is basically like the third act. And uh, I guess, spoiler alert, eventually he goes onto national television and it's like everyone, like if you wish for something, just wish it, like just anything you want. It's like one wish basically. And this is something that my friend pointed out, which I never thought of. And it stuck with me even after I watched the movie. He was like, you're telling me nobody on the planet wished for like world hunger to be solved or like wish for you know i don't know cancer to be have a cure like no one thought about that like it was all just for their own selfish you know like what's it like stay in mind like they just was like oh i wish i had money i wish like this person that i hate would like die or something it's, it's it's all just driven from like their own self like you know oh my god i'm losing my train of thought because <laughs> it's so it's so odd and even uh kristen wiggs character uh, Barbara Minerva, who at first starts off as like this geologist who really wants to be like Diana because of her sort of uh, her looks and her strength and everything. She at first wishes to be just like her, which she does. That's one wish. You can only get one wish with the stone, but literally way later in the movie, they just they just go against all that. And then and then uh, Barbara's like, yeah, I want to turn into like this like cheetah, like apex predator. I'm just like that's a second wish. Where'd that come from? Like nobody ever wishes for for a second wish, but it's like, and they clearly say you can only get one wish, but then they're just like, nope, you can get a second wish, and they never address it. It's I, it, it drove me crazy. I actually that was something I noticed too, and I saw somewhere 
because someone on Twitter was talking about it and someone actually explained it. And like, it does make sense within the movie when like you see the explanation as to why she got her second wish. I don't remember what it was, but like, it was like, nobody's going to be able to pick that up unless like you're an eagle-eyed viewer and like, you're really paying attention. I was like, that's just weird that they would like make it so like, hard to understand why she got her second wish it's, it's just bad script writing i think it, it is it really is because like like just don't like either make it work in a way because i thought maybe she would I, I don't know much about the um the the comic character of cheetah i assume she was kind of like um kurt connors from the spider-man movies how he was like the scientist who created himself to be the lizard like this serum i thought maybe as soon as she wants to be like Diana. She'll create a serum to turn her into an apex predator. To me, that would make a lot more sense. It would not only make her character more interesting because like, oh, she could have the power to create a whole army of cheetahs. And it's like, that, that's an actual threat. But no, it's just a, it's just another wish. And it's, it's such a massive plot hole in the movie. Just a quick fact check for the record. Uh, the original origin of the cheetah, uh, she was like an archaeologist or something and she had a dagger from the amazons and she cut herself on it and she became the goddess of the hunt but that means she turned into a giant cheetah instead it was early comic mm -hmm. books origin stories were just kind of uh, the magic villain cheetah girl person that was my kind of big issue because i'm more of a i mean i love both dc and marvel but i grew up more with the dc characters so i knew who cheetah was from like the justice league animated show I don't know much about like her story, but like I recognized her when it was announced like a year or two ago. Oh, she's going to be one of the villains in Wonder Woman 2. And I was like, that's really cool. Kristen Wake, who I like, she's not needed here. Like she doesn't need to be thrown into the mix. It's just, you know, another classic case of like a studio or director maybe wanting to shoehorn in a villain to be like, hey, you guys know who this is, the hardcore fans. And then like the character's just ultimately wasted. We've seen this so many times throughout the past couple of years. And it's like, that like really sucks because like, you're taking this character who could be super cool and you're just little making them so small compared to like another villain who I thought was good, but like, I don't know who he is, but that, that was just my big issue. And also we got to stop this Hollywood trend of casting someone that is beautiful and making them like act and seem like they're the most unattractive person ever. Like they're just disregarded by society. It's very weird and annoying. I don't know why they keep doing it in these movies. I've seen like memes all around of like all these like villains from like Iron Man 3 uh, Batman Returns and now Wonder Woman where it's like oh yeah you have this character played by a very attractive person but like you make them look unattractive and make them seem like they're unattractive it's very weird I don't know why they keep doing it. you know what I'm talking about yeah I get it and like in a weird way it sort of sort of pushes that myth of or like the myths of unattainable standards of beauty not that that's yeah. a myth, but like yeah. just because like if Kristen Wiig is ugly then everybody is basically screwed <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to make it like, I mean, I don't think they were like trying to straight out say, no, people are saying Kristen Wiig is ugly, but you could just make it be like, she's just a socially awkward person. You don't have to make it seem like nobody's interested in her. It, does, it doesn't have to be solely based on attraction. Like, yeah, exactly. People could, look, people could look beautiful on the outside, but like inside, they're like really either insecure or just like have, or just really anxious. Like that's yeah. normal. So it's like, why, you don't need to make it just solely based on appearance. Because that's exact, I mean, yes, there, it seems like they were trying to go more for the, you know, what you were saying, what's on the inside, but like the fact that they made her, you know, dress in like kind of big clothing, the frizzy hair, the glasses, it's like, well, what are you really trying to do? It's just an old trope that's like really weird that it's still used today. I don't get why. Yeah. I don't know. And it wasn't really used to great effect here. I mean, 
at moments it was like why she wished to be diana i think was very good but like that also has like a whole host of complications like i thought her wishing to be diana was the reason that wonder woman was losing her powers but it turns out that's because she wished for steve trevor to come back and the consequence of steve trevor coming back wasn't that like some guy just got his mind completely wiped and became steve trevor there's a whole controversy around that too which I have my opinion on it, but I don't know if it's just, you know, nitpicking or just it's actually a real thing. But, I, you know, it seems like people are looking for, like, controversies, which maybe they're there. I don't know. Yeah, I've heard that controversy. And there's some good thoughts behind it. I just, like, admittedly, when I say I like this movie, it's very much because that one scene elevated it. And I still see a lot of the problems with it, even though I think, like, it's just kind of a mediocre superhero film. We've just had really good ones the past couple of years. So, like, our taste is spoiled a little bit um but like there was no justification ever of why steve trevor didn't just come back and it just threw a question into the plot that was never addressed never really came back and it just kind of felt unnecessary um which i feel like a couple of the plot points in this film definitely feel like especially uh kristen wiggs character because and even the i don't know if it was just something with like even the opening like first 15 minutes with all the amazon characters it's like that adds nothing to the movie besides a phrase that's used at the end you don't need to set up a phrase you can just have a character say it and it's like i wonder if like they had like chris pine and like robin wright and all these other people under contract or something and they're like you know we just got to kind of throw them back in it's like this was another thing too that I wrote in my review that I was like, I don't get why like they marketed it this way or even they chose to do it because it just seemed like it cost more money than they needed to. It did not need to be set in 1984. It does not add anything to the movie except one montage where Steve Trevor tries on some 80s clothes. Other than that, like it does not need to be set in 1984. And it's very weird that they chose to do that. Like I get it. They're saying the first one's set in like the 40s then the 80s and then the next one if it actually gets made will be set in current time but like i, think, I, don't, I don't know it just seemed like wasted i think money. it's getting made like i think they already yeah. have, it just like, it recently yeah. got confirmed but there's like i don't even like, think there's a script down before it. patty jenkins is doing like star wars and like cleopatra so it's like when is that actually going to come out because star wars doesn't come out till 2023 cleopatra is probably up next so wonder woman 3 might not even be till 2027 or something that's fine <laughs> we can wait go, go, yeah, going we, back oh sorry no, go ahead. Oh, go, going back to that to the to the '80s thing, that's what they really, really pushed. That was their whole selling point. Which and like for me, I love '80s culture. I love '80s nostalgia. Like Stranger Things is one of my favorite shows ever because I love the way they use that '80s setting. But it works for that story because the whole universe revolves around the '80s. Well, exactly, what you said Orson. This has no reason to be set in 1984 and that first opening that not the first opening scene on on paradise island but the second one in the shopping mall is such an it's so self-indulgent like they're just really they hammer in all the time throughout this movie just like oh look how cool the 80s is look at all the the fashion and the technology it's like okay yeah it's interesting to some degree but you're not doing anything with it you're just showing it off in front of the camera and even then it just looks like it looks really artificial. And like, I understand when uh, Diana shows Steve around the eighties because he hasn't been around for like, God knows how long, like that makes sense. But for that opening scene, it's just like, okay, you're establishing the world, but you basically did the same scene twice. Like it, the movie tends to repeat a lot. And I think the first like hour uh, and 15 minutes of this movie 
is so slow and so like uninteresting. Nothing happens in it like at all, except for establishing the world, establishing the characters and Steve Trevor coming back. That's it. There's no like conflict that's happening. Nothing. There's no stakes that are being raised. It all happens in the last hour. And by that point, I just don't, didn't care because it took so long to get there. And even then the action, I don't think the action is like that great. Like that one scene it's in the, so uh, in the, it's so cheesy. It's like that, the one scene in the desert with the, with the tanks or the trucks, it looked like it was just like, it was just like Raiders of the Lost Ark. Cause like, I, I could just be watching Indiana Jones right now. And it's a much better choreographed and much better looking action scene. I it's actually like, think- no, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, just a couple, just a couple defenses to throw up here. First of all, uh, in terms of the movie being set in the eighties, I think like it's justified on two accounts. I think Max Lord could easily be seen as sort of a commentary on the like consumerism that was very much taking place and sort of birthed in the eighties, where it's like new now, buy it. Uh, although why she's like up and running around now instead of like. Like my main question at the beginning, and I knew I was going to have this question, is why is she helping kids in malls now instead of helping out during World War II? But that's a whole other thing. Um, and then the action scenes were awesome. <laughs> like all the things they did with the whip was so cool and like inventive. And like her like swinging around on things and like using it to like hit bad guys from far away. And like the time she like ejected a bullet from someone's gun and knocked it into them. It was so cool. They did so many cool, like inventive things with all her powers. I feel like, but they, it, it didn't seem, I don't know. For me, it seemed like they just did a lot of stuff from the first movie. And I think the first movie did the action scenes a lot better. Like I still like that one scene when she's on the battlefields of like no man's land and then gets into that village and breaks through the buildings. I think that that was way more engaging, not just in the story, but just, presentation wise it was a lot more entertaining this one like it looked way more fake and i don't know if it's just because i was watching on a tv and maybe if i saw in a theater it would look a bit better but i saw it on my 4k television and like it just looked ridiculously corny like the lighting was just off it looked like really like bright it didn't it didn't look like anything was real it looked like it was all filmed on a soundstage the, it, when she's doing the mall fight and she's like tossing the guys up, I'm like, oh, those guys are connected to strings. It's like, you know, whoa, yeah. you know what I mean? And like, okay, the one thing that even when I saw promos and like clips Warner Brothers was releasing, I was like, that looks really off is when she's running. But like the run does not match, like the speed that the camera's moving of how fast she's going does not match her feet actually running. It looks like she's floating. It was so weird. <laughs> There's like a scene at the end, I was like, that's weird that like the momentums are not matching each other it just yeah i agree with matthew it looked really weird and cheesy like like out of an 80s or 90s show but the thing is i can't tell okay another issue i have with that is that tone wise i don't know what this movie is trying to go for i can't tell if it's just trying to be a fun you know popcorn movie or if it's trying to be oh, an homage to the uh, 70s wonder woman show because the 70s wonder woman show with linda carter is very corny and very so it's definitely a product of the time much like the batman show from the 60s but i can't i literally cannot tell if it's trying to be a reference to that or if it's trying to be its own thing like it doesn't know what it wants to be the first one knew what it wanted to be it's an origin story and yeah it had silly moments but it was definitely more grounded in reality it felt like it felt like there were actual stakes and it was rather serious at points and that's why i liked about it so much this one yeah, it's lighthearted, which I love a good lighthearted superhero film. Like Shazam is my, my, my favorite of the universe. But like those two tones don't match and they don't feel like they belong with the same character. It feels like a, a soft reboot almost 
but has elements from the first film. It's it's so odd. I think, I think that's DC's issue right now is that, you know, I like some of the Zack Snyder stuff. I don't think we can count Justice League anymore because that, you know, when the new version comes out in a couple months, I think that'll be the version. But like, I don't think DC's happy with that. So what they want to do is like reboot it, but they're trying to keep the properties. Obviously Shazam is like its own thing. It's like in the universe, but it's kind of not in the universe. Aquaman, besides one line, doesn't even connect to the Snyder stuff. Wonder Woman kind of does though. And so it just seems like they're trying to reboot it. But like also Matthew said, is like keep like some of the elements. I don't get why they're doing that. Just like acknowledge, okay, you know what? We had a couple duds at first. I don't think they're duds, but you know, we're trying to redo it. I, you know, rebooting, I think is just going to confuse fans. And like, it kind of did for me. I'm like, Wonder Woman can fly now. Like, why was she not flying in the other movies? Okay, there, um, Patty Jenkins, like, came out in an interview and said, like, yeah, I didn't, like, care at all about the DCEU making this movie, which, yeah. respectable. Like, when you've made a character and put a lot of hard work into a really, really quality film like Wonder Woman, and then they make Justice League and basically just poop all over it, yeah, you don't have to appease them anymore. Who cares? But, like, yeah, like, I think that justifies it. And in terms of the tones, like, I think... They were trying to go for like lighter for parts of it because the first Wonder Woman was a little grim in moments. And it's hard to be grim in the 80s when there's neon everywhere and like you're going for a very flashy aesthetic. But, but um, then, but, but that's also the problem. Like if they wanted to follow in the footsteps of the first one, they shouldn't have set it in the 80s. You could set this during like the 50s in like the beginning of like the Cold War or something and it would still be the exact same story. Like, yeah, you'd have to change. You probably have to change the villain to some degree especially pedro pascal's character but it's the same story even if you set this like in current day it would be the same story like that's the problem there's nothing about it that like it's like okay this needs this needs to be set in 1984 not there's nothing like that i mean i think there's like the ease of commercial television that was being created and like the ease of broadcasting and then also the sort of cold war fervor because, like, they play with that with the villains. Like, he needs the TV to do the wish thing, which that's when I completely lost interest in the movie because I was constantly questioning a million things. Like, if someone wished for a good thing, even if shortcuts are technically cheating in Wonder Woman's book, wouldn't it be worth it? Like, I don't know. Or what if two wishes cancel out? What about that? Yeah. But, like, I think they justified it being set when it was just with that third act because they needed, like, a very specific kind of broadcasting thing that like couldn't really be shut down from anywhere else. And they needed the Cold War fervor that was still downplayed, but still in the 80s. So I think it was fine there. But like, I don't know. I think the movie still gets to like a serious tone a good number of times, because it's very much for better or for worse about Steve Trevor, which one of the biggest complaints I've seen, and I can see it, is that this film focuses a lot more on Steve Trevor instead of on Wonder Woman, which makes sense. Uh, but um, like what was I saying? Like all of his arc, I think is done really well. And like his, the sort of tone surrounding him is very much grim and inevitable death. And I thought that worked pretty well, but. I liked it. I, okay. One scene that I was like, that's pretty cool that they did that. The invisible jet scene. That, that was, was pretty cool. awesome. Yeah, that was pretty cool. It took me a second to catch on. I'm like, oh, they're flying in an invisible jet. And then it literally like five seconds, it clicked. I was like, oh my God, they just made canon the invisible jet. So that was pretty cool. It, it, oh was, it was it was a nice scene. I mean, it, it looked really fake. It kind of looked like scenes in, from Aquaman. But other than that, I'm just like, yeah, it's it's nice. I thought Aquaman looked better than this. 
and I'm not the biggest fan of Aquaman. It's okay, but like I was like, Aquaman did this way better. And that's like even more cornball cheesy than this. But at least with Aquaman, they like played up the cornball cheesiness. This just well, like, yeah, that one they took advantage. Like at least what I could give Wonder Woman 1984 this is that the CG is not good at all, but the actual production design and costumes are fine. Like Aquaman had like no practical effects, and that's what really annoyed me is that it was pretty much all CG and it looked awful. Like this one, they at least had some practical effects even though the cg definitely overshadowed it it didn't look like horrendous i feel like so i think visually wonder woman 1984 is probably a bit more is probably better and also because like that paradise island or is that what's called paradise island the first scene it used to be called paradise island and then in some reboot a thousand years ago they renamed it to themiscira which is a much cooler name yeah yeah, like that. I I liked I liked that part, but yeah, it, it didn't connect to anything in the movie. Because like that first scene, I'm like, okay, this is actually a really fun action scene, and then it's like, I wonder how this is gonna play into the film, and it doesn't. So it's like, well, okay, that takes all the fun out of that. So I mean, it builds the idea that she thinks shortcuts are cheating, and I think that's that only really comes into play in the third act. But like, but the, but by that point, you forget about it. But it's so far along. That's yeah. also, yeah, it's something Matthew mentioned earlier that I agree with. It didn't hit me as much as it did when I saw Aquaman. This movie's longer than it needs to be. It just, Definitely. you could easily take off 10 to 15 minutes and, like, you wouldn't lose much. Because, ha- because the first half, they just spend so much time just, like, it's filler. They don't do anything. And that's such, it's such an annoying thing about it. It's just I think so... They do, they do things, but I just think that, like, the scene with the Amazons at the beginning, it just seemed like they had all those people under contract. And so it's like, well, you got to come back for this one. So we got to figure out a way to do it. And like, again, I love Kristen Wiig. She didn't need to be in this. Like you could have easily taken out that whole arc and the movie wouldn't have been different at all. Like you could have easily just had one villain. I think they could have like used some of the time that they just sort of kicked around because I don't think they wasted the first half like the first half like Steve Trevor comes back and like a bunch of other things like I think the pinch is around when they go to Egypt but um like I there was a lot of time when they were just sort of kicking around and Wonder Woman was working at the Smithsonian and Kristen Wake was working at the Smithsonian they're like all buddy buddy I think if you cut some of that they could have played up the cheetah a little bit more and then the cheetah could have been a little bit more justified than just like I wish to be like Diana. I'll never give this up. I want to be a cheetah. And then she becomes a cheetah. She becomes a cheetah at the very end. And it's just like, okay. Which by the way, those effects were hideous looking. Like, Yeah, I, I was no wonder like, they said it at night, the fight at night. Yeah, I was, I was getting like cats flashbacks from that. But I didn't think they were that bad. It might just be that my TV is terrible. But like <laughs> when I saw the trailer, I was like, those effects are awful. And then I saw the movie and I think they spent a little bit more time like touching them up. I was like, whoa, those effects are actually pretty decent. I think it is just because my TV is like 10 I mean, years old. I thought they were okay, but like when she just starts swinging around on like whatever yeah. it is, like the phone line, I was like, all right, that's a little ridiculous. It, like, it looks so, it looks so like silly. Yeah. Yeah, I'll give you that one. That one was, that one was a little bit ridiculous, but I don't know. And now they're saying like she can come back for Wonder Woman 3, which will be set probably in like 2025 or something, which like it makes sense because I don't know if you guys know this. She still has her same wish. So she's like Diana. She's not going to age. But I'm like, you should have just saved her for Woman. Yeah, just just save her for the next one. Her wish. She renounced her Cheeto wish. See, again, this is one of those things I was talking about where like it doesn't make sense. You have to like look it up on Reddit threads. Apparently, 
she still has the first witch where she's like Diana, where she's like super strong and she won't age, but she renounced the cheetah wish. But then it's like, how is she, if she's coming back for Wonder Woman 3, presumably as cheetah, I don't see why they would just have the character, the human version. How is she going to get that back almost 40 years later or something? It's weird. That That's a huge problem with like you saying you have to like look at Reddit threads and stuff, unless you're, unless you're making like a Charlie Kaufman sort of like existential super interpretive and meta art film you shouldn't have to look up stuff to understand the plot of the movie you're watching to me that's just really bad screenwriting at that point the fact that i need to do that to understand everything that's going on like that's a problem uh, i think what filmmakers especially in dc right now minus the shazam people maybe james gunn who's doing the suicide squad is like they need to realize that the people watching these superhero movies aren't like us where we're like we probably know this stuff already it's just the common fan that's like, there's a new Wonder Woman movie out. Let's go take the kids to see it. And then they're like, well, that doesn't make any sense. But people who are like fanboys will be like, oh, you know, I get that. I get that. It's like, that's, I think just, it's just a bad move that DC's done a couple of times in the past. And I don't get why. Even Marvel's done it too, where they just don't learn from their mistakes. A prime example is the Harry Potter franchise. Fantastic Beasts is doing that right now, where it's like, you need to be a fan to understand it. And I just think that's kind of cheap. Yeah, although I will say like, I, like, I didn't have to look up any Reddit threads to understand what was going on in the movie. Like, a few details, like, I didn't quite get. Like, why she got her second wish. Like, that one, I think, was the biggest, like, I'd need to look that up later. But, like, her, like, I didn't know that she didn't renounce that one wish, which is problematic for its own right. But, like, I understood what was going on. Like, I think, I think people are saying that a lot of this movie is confusing. I don't think it's or like it's not well thought out i think that might be true i also think they might have just cut too much from the screenplay and so there were just like a few little details that are missing and those details really stand out because like it's already kind of plot hole laden especially the third act because i think one of the details missing that like even i was like they didn't even explain that what happens to maxwell lord you just see him hugging his son at the end and it's like oh is he gonna get arrested is he gonna like you know just live his life just kind of ends with him and i was like that's kind of weird well, if everyone renounced their wish, he technically didn't really do much wrong. I mean, he broke into a U.S. government facility, but who's going to... I think he killed everybody. Oh, I guess he did do some stuff wrong. Well, I was wrong. Uh, unfortunately, we were almost out of time for Wonder Woman 1984. <laughs> Final thoughts? I thought it was a fair film. It's, again, it's not one, you know, I have any desire probably to revisit unless my parents or a friend is like, I haven't seen it yet. And I'm like, eh, okay, but... Yeah, it was just, it was disappointing in the sense that like, Patty Jenkins is a talented director. She's one of the best female directors working right now, but this movie was just a step down from what she's done before. She's literally Emmy, I think I think she's won Emmy. She's an Oscar nominated director. And this just, you know, I can't tell if it was just, you know, she had too much going on or like it was studio interference or whatever. But I think for, yeah, the time being, it could have been better, but I was at least entertained somewhat while watching it. I, I was I was very disappointed and very frustrated watching this and not only just for how poorly made the movie is but what you said or there's talented people behind this that showed their talent with the first film like just just watch that because this one like I said I don't know if it was either studio interference or they just I want to say they didn't care because there was effort put into us and I always give credit where credit's due for that but it just seemed like no like like they didn't bring their A game to this one. And I don't know why. And it's so frustrating to see that considering the first one is just, is it's a good movie. And honestly, I never want to watch it again, nor do I recommend it to people. 
I don't think it's the worst of the DCU, but that also just shows how bad this film franchise is. But it's definitely one of the weaker ones. Uh, I'm going to give it a three out of 10. Dang. Uh, also, just a quick fact check. Uh, Patty Jenkins is nominated for an Emmy. She has not been nominated for an Oscar, which Ooh. makes a little bit of sense because she hasn't directed a lot that the I thought she did Emmy that Charlize do. Theron monster. I know that was, didn't she? I thought that was the one Charlize Theron won. Uh, she was nominated for a bunch of awards for that, but none for Oscars. That's uh, Either way, she's still- The academies been... are horrible and sexist and refuse to give women directors any sort of chance. Yeah. But it's a whole other rant that I could go on. Uh, but uh, I, uh, I'm going to give this film a 7 out of 10. I thought it was... I see the problems it had, but I think the action scenes, which I thought were spectacular, and they did like really creative things with her powers, which I always like when they do creative things with their powers, and not just like, she hits people because she's strong. Like I like that they like try to expand her sort of move vocabulary. And when it wanted to deliver that emotional punch with Steve Trevor, it really delivered, and it was a really spectacular scene. Uh, elevated the film a lot for me and made the film much more enjoyable than it might've been. And I've gotten a lot of good hours out of discussing this film with my friends and talking about what would happen if Two Wishes canceled out, what would happen then? Um, but yeah, seven out of 10. I'll probably rewatch it once again before it leaves HBO Max to come on to HBO Max later. But uh, we'll see about that then. All right, now time to move on to the second film of the day, which is Disney Pixar's Soul, starring Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey, directed by Pete Docter. And it's about a musician who gets the gig of a lifetime and then immediately dies. Uh, And he has to go on this adventure with an unborn soul because he sort of falls out of this conveyor belt thingamabob and has to go around and show her that life is fun. What'd you all think? I mean... For all of our listeners out there, if you've listened to our top 10, you might know that this was my third favorite movie of the year. I was so surprised how much I enjoyed this. I didn't know a lot about it going into it. I knew it was like about a musician who died and like he's traveling through like this kind of heaven soul, you know, trippy world. I didn't know like what really the second half entailed with like him coming back and, you know, being in the cat and Tina Fey being in his body. But yeah, I was pleasantly surprised how much I enjoyed this. Pixar has done a couple duds in the past couple of years, which I haven't really, you know, been able to relate to as much as, you know, I'm sure we all do with the classic Pixar films like Toy Story, Monsters, Finding Nemo, whatever. But yeah, I think this was a very uh, good step for bringing back the momentum that we all love and expect from Pixar films. Yeah, this was this was also one of my favorite films of the year. This was my number five. And uh, this was uh, is directed by Pete Docter as... Um, Calvin said, who also directed my two favorite Pixar films, Inside Out and Up. And Pixar in general, I just hold to a very high standard, which might be at fault because I go into their films like with what, like a bit of a bias and also way more, you know, expectations than usual. But this one uh, definitely met and even surpassed to some degree my expectations because this was a return to form to what made Pixar so great in the first place with its story, its characters. And most importantly, it's themes. Like this is a very deep uh, animated film and not just for children, but even more so for adults. Like we'll probably get into this uh, during this discussion, but I'd argue that this is more for adults than children because of how it presents these themes in a very mature and even like sophisticated way. 
that really makes you question like what like perspectives on life and just like what is our purpose which is not only very hard to convey to children or just younger audiences but in order for adults to really understand that I think is really impressive get coming from Disney and Pixar which is a very mainstream uh, animation studio and I think they did it really really well and this is a great return to form. I want to preface what I'm about to say by saying I do not hate this movie, but much in the same way that a really good scene can make me really love a not great movie like Wonder Woman 1984, a really bad scene can really turn me against a movie. And uh, I thought Soul was not great. Uh, I thought it the first like 30, 45 minutes were some of the most inventive, cool, original things Pixar had ever done. And it was so brilliant and amazing and such a cool way to present like tough ideas and like interesting new ideas about like the great before and all of that stuff. And then Jamie Foxx becomes a cat and I had to pause the movie for 30 whole minutes because I would rather do my dishes than watch that movie. And it keeps going with that for so long and is not necessary like 22 being in his body is necessary, but him being in a cat was so spectacularly stupid. And it felt, Matthew, you just mentioned Up. And I feel like if I had watched Up when I was an adult and not a kid, it turning into like talking dogs chase a Zeppelin really would have turned me off from Up from like the beginning, which is so like brilliantly done. But like when you're a kid, it's like, yeah, like talking dogs chase a Zeppelin. Awesome. I feel like this, like maybe if I were a kid, I'd be like, yeah, he's a cat now. This is cool. But as an adult, I was like, this was so awesome. And like, I was so down with this whole world you had built. And it was so spectacular. And if you didn't like rush through it like you did, you could get a whole movie and a half out of that. But you really wanted him in a cat. So here he is in a cat. And it's spies in disguise, but not as fun because it doesn't have Will Smith and Tom Holland. That's my thoughts. That's a fair complaint because I've heard some people that have like similar thoughts to you. At first, like when that did happen, I was, I kind of felt like you at first. I'm just like, oh, this is, we're going this direction. But I don't know, the more they played with it, I kind of like, not only went along with it, but it's still enjoyable. Like, and going back to what you said with Up, I, I'd argue the difference between Up, because I think Up is a better movie than this. That's yeah. just my opinion. But the thing in Up is that at least that part was funnier, I felt like. Like, especially, I, I will never forget, and I still find this hilarious, the scene in Up when they're when we were introduced to Doug's, um, like the three other dogs, Alpha, Beta, and Gamma, when he's like, oh, we, we better find out where they are, right, Alpha? He's just like this stern, like, you know, sort of menacing figure. And you just hear like that no it's just like that voice in that body is just it's so jarring but it's so funny and that's like consistently funny this one i don't know if it's as funny for an adult unlike um up because up i think like you know kids will like it just because it's like oh it's it's the voice but even adults will find it funny just because of that presence and the voice that's the scenes of the cat i think more appeal towards you know children just because like oh it's cute like oh look he's in the cat's body but at the same time, I don't think it's like uh, grading or anything. I still think they do a lot of creative things with it. And also 22 is able to see the joys of life that we take for granted. Like there's a great moment line where Joe's like, yeah, walking and 
you know, smelling or like touching stuff that like, those aren't, you know, tr uh, I, I forget what the actual line was. Like those aren't really purposes. That's just something we're given with. We take that for granted just because we experience that every day, but 22 never had that experience. And she's seeing like, this is what life is really like. This is what I've been missing for like, who knows how long I've just been stuck in the grate before my whole life. And I could have been here. Like, that's really, really interesting. And it's played well with sort of this cute, uh, sort of and like cartoony thing. And I say cartoony in a good way, not in a way that's degrading. So that's why I think it works in soul. Granted, it's not, it's a bit jarring at first, but you kind of go along with it. That's fair. Um, and I like, I get that. Also, I don't want to make it seem like I don't like Up. Up is a fantastic movie. I love Up. But, um, and like you do sort of like go along with it, but like anytime they made like a cat joke or anything, because 22 being in his body was necessary, but they could have just had him like a free floating soul, like wandering around. Like they had Terry floating around on his little lines, which was really cool. But like every time they made a stupid cat joke, it was just like, there's the cat joke because Secret Life of Pets was popular and it takes a long time to make these. So they made a cat joke about, oh, he's tired because he's lying in the sun. I want to get back to the cool world with all the cool people. I didn't mind the cat thing as much. I mean, you know, to be fair, when it did happen, I was like, oh, he's in the cat. Here we go again. You know, with this kind of trope that these animated movies do. What maybe would have been more interesting and maybe would have changed your opinion, Calvin, is if they actually had 22 and Joe in the same body. And now you've got two people trying you. to control I think that could have been more interesting because like, obviously he can't control it besides telling 22 what to do, but you know, I don't know, just kind of doing it. Maybe not this per se, but a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde kind of thing where it's like two souls battling one body would have been more interesting because Pixar's kind of done that before with like, Oh, someone's trapped in the animal or whatever, but I don't know. It didn't bother me as much. Yeah. Admittedly, it might just because it might just bother me because I was really expecting a lot from this film and it established like a lot of cool things right away that like such a drop really just affected me for the rest of the movie. But like, yeah, I thought about that too. Like they could have done that. There were a million other things they could have done, but they still went with Joe and a cat. I don't know. I feel like I've just been just pooping on this ridiculously. Someone say something positive about Soul. <laughs> I think the one thing I really took away from this, and Matthew touched upon it in his general thoughts that I forgot to say, I will argue, besides the fact that this is, well, maybe not even animated, we've seen adult animation, but the fact that this is Pixar and Disney, I don't think this is really meant for kids. I mean, obviously it's not sex, drugs, and rock and roll that's in the movie, but like, you know, minus a couple of things that are like very small, I can't really think of a lot that, you know, you know, Disney's target was children for this besides, you know, again, that it's animated and it's Disney. There's so many mature themes. You've never really seen a Pixar movie tackle death and what life means. Obviously we've seen like maturity and growing up, that makes sense, but this, I don't know. It just really, I walked away from it and I was like, wow, you know, even as 19 years old, like I can relate to that. Whereas someone maybe like my, you know, second little cousins or something will just, you know, they won't get it. I don't see how this really is a kid's movie. I can see it being a kid's movie. Like, I think, I don't know. I think it could go either way. I think a very particular type of kid will really, really love Soul. Um, and I think I might have been that kid when I was a little kid. Because, like, I don't know. Sometimes touching on big themes works for kids. And I think it does so in, like, a very child-friendly way. Like, death isn't, like, 
scary. It's just scary because he still has things he wants to do. It's not just like you're dead and you're gone forever, which would terrify a little kid. It's like you die, you go on a conveyor belt, and then you go into this really bright, pretty light. So like, I think they handled the mature themes in a way that was thought provoking while still not utterly terrifying. I think, also, I think that's good. Oh, oh and you, I was you, just no, going to say, and it. also in a way that was like non-religion specific, which I think was really key. Cause like, yeah. that's just the gateway to whatever, like the escalator could drop off and you go straight to hell. Like there's a lot of things that could happen. That, that, that's really Im- impressive too how they were able to make it it because you can look at this movie in a variety of different ways re- whether or not you're a religious person or not kind of kind of like how wally has a lot of like religious imagery and themes in it but you don't have to be a religious person to like fully you know understand the story the same thing in soul is that it's all just about life and death like you, we all have our interpretations of what the great beyond is is it just we meet you know, do we meet God or is it the stairway to sort of like this white abyss? Like there's so many different ways that we can interpret life and death. And I think this movie, regardless of whether you, you know, what, what you believe, it, it's all sort it all kind of comes together in a way where we can all relate to it. And I think the way they handled it was not only very creative, but really respectful too of sort of your beliefs and everything, just because it appeals to everyone, which is very important for this type of movie. And going back to the uh, the statement about it being for kids or adults, I, I kind of compared it to Fantastic Mr. Fox in a way, because Fantastic Mr. Fox at face value, if you're a kid watching that, you could just say like, oh, it's just a bunch of cute furry animals like get, getting into hijinks and stuff. And it's fun and cute. But when you really like like look into it and understand the themes and the characters, it's a very adult story with even some of like the dialogue too. It's very adult in a and the older you get, the more you appreciate it, just how much of that goes whoosh, like right over your head. But, and the same thing can be said for soul. Soul has a lot of really heavy themes, but also any kid could probably take it at face value and be like, oh yeah, it's just about this guy. He wants to get back to his body. Cause that's really the basic story, but it's more just about the meaning of life. That's kind of buried in that story, which is so well done. And even more so than Inside Out, because Inside Out is still my favorite Pixar film. That that movie was definitely a lot more um, on the nose in terms of its themes. Like even kids can understand like what it means to be happy and sad, same way as adults can. But this one, it's more you kind of have to look into it, which I is super impressive, especially for Pixar. The fact that they went along with this and were able to to make it like this is just I'm. I was kind of like blown away that they were even able to get this movie out. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's exactly. I was, I was trying to add on to it, but you kind of hit the nail on the head. It's really cool that they made this movie and took a chance on this movie when they could have easily just made toy story five or cars four or whatever you want. But they were like, no, we're going to like give Jamie Foxx and Tina Fey something really interesting to work with. And it's really cool that they did that. Well, technically, Toy Story 5 is kind of happening with the Buzz Lightyear movie or whatever they're doing, but it's not Buzz Buzz Lightyear. It's like oh, the yeah. guy. Chris Evans is playing Buzz Lightyear, but it's kind of Toy Story 5 in a way. But yeah. I do want to give a shout out to, I think, my favorite character in the whole entire movie, Terry, played by Rachel House, who has worked with Taika Waititi before. I was like, is that the girl who works with Taika Waititi in all of his movies? And then I looked it up on IMDb and I was like, oh my God, it is. I was so happy to see, probably from Thor Ragnarok, she got the job. And I, she was just so funny in the movie. Like, 
a, a thing I really liked is she wasn't an antagonist. That was the thing. Like, that's kind of something I always dread in Pixar movies is like, okay, who's going to be like the antagonist? There wasn't really one in this. She's just the soul trying to do her job, which I thought was really compelling. And she's funny. Because that's also her. Ragnarok. Sorry. She was uh, the Grandmaster's like second. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, cool. I, th- yeah. I think she was, also, she was also in Moana as well. I think, I think so, she yeah. Was, I think she was Moana's grandmother. But yeah, I really like, I like how they handled Terry too, because not only was the design really, really cool and also just being a, a funny character, but that goes along with, with is Ter- okay, here, here's one question. Is Terry a boy or a girl? This is a really, woman. I feel like woman. Okay, wait, what? Woman, or, yeah. Woman. Okay, I couldn't, I couldn't tell. So that's why I had to, I mean, obviously Rachel House is a, is a woman. But I couldn't tell in, in the movie for some reason. Like, is that a boy or girl? But I mean, anyway, yeah. So they're like a line character. It's it's hard to. That's tell. That's actually based. That's based off. Uh, I want to give a shout out to this too because I thought it was pretty cool. Picasso's like light art. Look yeah. it up. Nice. That's like I thought that was super cool that they did that. Like like Terry's just trying to do her job, and well, you said Orson like because that's in a way that's her purpose is just to you know make sure everything's in line and like she's like yeah. The lines have been off for centuries or something like that to the point where she goes into like this giant filing cabinet room to find his name and goes by like one by one there's like 50 billion rows it's not only funny but it just shows how dedicated she is and because that that's that she's come to terms like this is what i'm meant to do so i have to go these great lengths to find this dude's name and yeah there is no antagonist which movies don't need movies don't always need to have a villain or this sort of threat the threat really there there isn't really much of a threat in the movie aside from just like this wall that's kind of blocking joe's dreams because joe wants to be like this jazz musician and because it's something he's been chasing for but and like his mom who obviously lo- loves him still is not super supportive just because she knows that this might not be you know the best for you financially but she still wants because she wants the best for her son so it's like, well, do I do I follow my dreams and go shoot for the stars, or do I stay at this school and be content with the fact that I have a job and a way to make a living, even though he's not really, it's not something that he's super passionate about. And to me, the real antagonist is just sort of reality in a way. But then also in the end, reality becomes like the hero because he's he's able to see just all the joys he has in his life that he just didn't see because he was so focused on that one goal of becoming a musician. And to me, that was really, really beautiful. And, and also children could probably like get a lot out of that as well, as much as just the meaning of life. Oh yeah, I definitely agree. I, one of the things that I think works really well for this film too, was the, uh, the score by Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. I mean, they're just so good. They've done so many good movies. Like I was so happy to see that they did this. I think it really helped with the film because it was very different from kind of what we heard with Pixar stuff. Yeah. Also, uh, what did you guys think of the ending? It was okay. I don't know. I think I liked the whole movie to like maybe give the ending. I wouldn't call it anticlimactic, but just kind of, you know, just petered out a little bit. I think I can forgive it. I'd be curious to see if they'd ever consider doing a sequel. I don't think it really needs one, but if they do, you know, I'd be curious to see what they would do with it. But yeah, I thought it was okay. I think I think the ending, it definitely, uh, I, I don't know, the way I would have ended it is just to have, to Joe, have Joe die. Yeah. Because that would have been a lot more impactful. But given the fact that it's Disney and they're, 
even though this is debatably more for adults, they're trying to appeal to just like all audiences. So it's like, you can't have your protagonist die. So, but the way they did it, I felt like it, it wasn't like insulting or anyway, like I still enjoyed the ending, but I'm just like, yeah, this movie would have just been like way more, you know, amazing if he act if they went through and actually you know had him die which that thought was in the back of my head I'm like oh he's i would if he dies that would be actually really you know impressive but i know they're not gonna do that but then they kind of like they kind of um trick you into thinking because he's like going in like oh is are they actually doing this like no way like this is awesome and then he's just like oh we'll give you a second chance and it's like uh, i mean it's still I, I understand why you did that but it's just like you were so close to doing it and it would have just been no Here's my question. With how mature this movie is, they took a lot of risks and a lot of chances, which I think all of them paid off besides that one. Do you think in the original, maybe they animated it, maybe it was just a script. Do you think they actually had him die and Pixar was like, you can't do that because they had all these other risks and they're like, this is the one you can't take. We'll give you all the others, but you can't kill him. Well, that's my question. I think probably yes. I'm sure, I'm sure at least one of the writers or just like one of the story people at Pixar thought that and be like, yeah, this would be great. But then they probably couldn't get past it through like the executives for all those reasons that I mentioned before. Because like, yeah, you can't have your protagonist die because then children would be like, no, he's dead. I think, um, I think it's honestly sort of a toss up for me because on one hand, I think that's very possible. But also knowing that like, because Pixar develops their own ideas, like it wasn't pitched to them. They might have been seeking to make like a very hopeful movie from the beginning. And so they might have like started out with like, okay, he's not gonna die, but he's about to die. So I think I think it could go either way. But unlike all of other Pete Doctor's movies, he's had characters die. He had well, Ellie and Up, she died, but then like the first 10 minutes, and then they had Bing Bong dying inside out. No one really like died in this one, which I thought was kind of interesting. Like Joe dies, but he doesn't really die. The, the, the thing about Ellie and Bing Bong is that they weren't the main characters. Like they, they were important for the main for the protagonist's journey, but they're not like the lead. They're they're side characters. Like El, El, Ellie, even though she's a, a side character, is the whole driving force of the movie. Because to me, you had to she had to die because then the whole movie wouldn't happen. And just setting Carl on this journey. And Bing Bong is sort of just sort of is Riley's like imaginary friend that dies out essentially. And she grows up to become a teenager, setting off on this new journey. So they're important for the for each of the protagonists. But like, like imagine if Carl died at the end of Up. Like that just would have been the movie's already depressing the first ten minutes, and it just would have been even more sad. <laughs> that would have been such a baller move if Carl if Carl if Carl had died. Oh my god. I don't know. I think. I think they probably should have killed Joe off. It would have been a much darker tone, but they could have done it in a nice, pleasant way. Like I can see like the ending of him, like going into the light, like the screen fading to white. And then you go back to like 22 on earth and she's like born. Yeah. I don't know. I think they could have done it. Also, they never showed 22 being born. I was really looking forward to that. That I'm glad they didn't. Sorry. That that I'm glad they didn't show. I kind of liked that because it's more up to your interpretation. Like what what is 22 going to be like physically, obviously, but also what is she going to do with her life? Because like for me, that that one, yeah, they could have easily shown, but I'm glad they didn't. I'm glad they left that more open to just what the audience thinks. 
I agree too. I, I mean, there's obviously that human part of me that's a movie watcher that's like, no, I want to know. But at the same time, I don't think you need to know because again, interpretation. They obviously try to show 22 doesn't know what she wants to do with her life. So it's like, oh, well, if you show, then it, I wouldn't say like takes away from the rest of the movie, but it's like, you will learn that as you grow up throughout life. Everybody has had that phase where it's like, no, when you're little, you're going to do this for your life. And then as you get older, it's like, well, no, I'm actually going to end up doing this. It does make me wonder though, if they're going to do a sequel where like Joe and 22 actually find each other. I don't know. I don't, it could work, but at the same time, I don't know if it needs to happen, but we shall see. I, I, I really hope that doesn't happen. Not that I don't want to see these characters because I really, really like these characters, but this doesn't need a sequel. Kind of like yeah. with Inside Out. Inside Out and Soul do not need sequels just because they end so perfectly. And just having it more up to your imagination and what you want to tell the story, that's more powerful than anything that Pixar could come up with. Just because you can fill in the gaps and be like, oh, maybe they do meet in the, re- in the real world or maybe they become separate or something. Just kind of like you write your own story. And that, that to me, th- those are the best types of endings for any, not just Pixar, but just for any movie. I love it when you can just like imagine what the story, what happens afterwards and not have the studio write some, something that they want you to believe that those are the, those are the best types of endings. Yeah. Yeah. And I can only see a sequel to this movie being like, and hijinks ensue as the plot. <laughs> and I think going, cause like toy story, it's a theme that can very much be elaborated on. And like very easily because Andy grows up, the audience grows up, he gives up toys, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But um, like with this, to go from like themes of death and like what makes a life worth living, like you can expound upon that philosophically for hours. But with these characters specifically, I don't think you can physically do anymore. I think they yeah. pretty much hit it right on the head. Yeah. I do what I a... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, oh, I was I just, just gonna say. Never mind. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> I did want to give a quick shout out to the animation because I think yeah. besides, I mean, I think Spider-Verse is the best animated movie ever made as of right now. This is the second best, I think. I think it looked so realistic. And as I said, and I think I said in the top 10 reviews last week, there were moments where I had to like pull myself out. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm watching an animated movie, but like, you know, minus the stuff in the soul world, like I think it looked pretty real. And so I was really surprised. It's interesting. There's a tweet that I saw circulating a couple of weeks ago. That's like when they made Toy Story, they were like, the animation wasn't up to date or whatever they were doing. All like the side characters that are Andy's friends are just different models of Andy yeah. dressed in different clothes. And then you look at this one with like Joe on the street when he's back in the real world. And it's like, you have like so many different looking characters that are from all different kinds of backgrounds that look, you know, very realistic. And I was like, that's, you know, really impressive what almost 30 years does. So I do want to give a shout out to that. They, they did get the feel of New York like really really well not just in the human character designs but even in like the backgrounds like the designs of the buildings and even the vehicles and the sounds and everything it's a very atmospheric type of experience and it it puts you right in the mood like I've been to New York many many times and so like it just feel you feel like the sort of busyness and just the sea of people that surround you I just they just did it so well and like it looks beautiful like kind of like you said just like comparing to what they did with toy story to now it's like the jump between in like 25 years it's just astounding like you just can't believe it and even in the soul world like i just really like how they combine the 2d sort of like flat animation with the 3d souls and that was cool yeah yeah like uh the designs of like terry and the other um counselors they kind of reminded me of like something don hertz felt would do Mm -hmm. just sort of this really minimalist but really expressive 
sort of 2D animation. Like it's Pixar has never done anything like that. And I, I hope they do stuff like that where they combine two different animation forms. Like it'd be amazing if they do like stop motion one day and combine it with CG characters. Like imagine that. Because if this this showed us that they can do it and do it really well. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, we're almost out of time for, for Soul. I almost called it Inside Out. Because I think they did a little bit of stop motion and Inside Out in like the abstract thought part. Maybe. It's been a long time since I've seen Inside Out. But uh, final thoughts on Soul? I, yeah, I really loved Soul. It's, I don't, you know, I think it's one that I have to revisit maybe every couple months. So like I don't, you know, lose the feeling that I got the first time I saw it. But yeah, I was really surprised how much I enjoyed it. Not even going in, not knowing that much. I think, you know, it's better than some of the Pixar movies we've gotten in the past couple of years, especially uh, better than Onward, which came out the same year. But yeah, I, I really quite enjoyed this film. I'm excited to see where Pixar keeps going. I, I agree. I, I thought this was a fantastic movie from Pixar. And basically everything that I said in the top 10 video and our recording and also in, in this, I just, it's just so great to have Pixar back and yeah pixar really has never gone away but they've hit they have hit a couple duds and as great as some of their sequels like incredibles 2 or toy story 4 those weren't original stories this is a return to an a really really creative and really thought-provoking original story that everyone can enjoy if you're a kid or an adult or like what regardless of like your religious beliefs or your ethnic background just like this appeals to everybody just because it's about life and the joys of life and I think that's such an important message especially given the circumstances that surround our world today I think Soul is it's such a great movie I I really really love it I'm gonna give it a nine out of ten dang I'm gonna give it I think a seven or a 7.5 out of ten uh I liked it I thought it was good it just really took a left turn in the wrong direction as far as I'm concerned. But like, it still had some parts that were good and really, really awesome. So I don't know, maybe an eight. It was good, but nothing's ever going to beat Toy Story 3. Toy Story 3, I think, is about peak. Um, I 100% agree with you. I think Toy Story 3 is the best Pixar movie. So good. Yes, it is. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I like Toy Story 4 a little bit more than this one. I have a little bit of a bias because I love Toy Story and I have for a long time, but I thought Toy Story 4 was a little bit better. But the animation was spectacular. Like it looked real while still having like very trademark animation. Like everybody's shape is completely different. Like Joel's face was just perfect. I loved it. But yeah, that'll wrap up today's episode of Bijou Banter. Hopefully you enjoyed. And I've been Calvin. I've been Orson. I've been Matthew. We will see you all next time. Bye.